This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. England get it launched, a tepid first hour turns on its head when Gareth Boys go slightly more direct and then Henderson, Kane and Saka make it all look pretty easy. In the middle of it all, Jude Bellingham, who is 19, brackets 19 years old, and Jordan Henderson, just a little bit more than a good talker. Senegal were good for a little bit, then did absolutely nothing as once again the favourites progressed. You'd imagine Kylian Mbappe was terrified watching that after he barely turned up against Poland, or more accurately, scored two utterly brilliant goals. He shouldn't get all the headlines, after all, Olivier Giroud is now the all-time top scorer for his nation. Again, the polls were okay for a bit, but so far no upsets in the last 16. Also today, a little look ahead to Monday's games. We mourn losing Arsene Wenger to the FIFA machine. Asked why the camera has to keep panning to Gianni Infantino and pull back the curtain just slightly into how we make this nonsense. All that plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Filippo Clare, bonjour, ça va? Bonsoir, mon vieux. From the Racing Post, Mark Langdon, hello. Hi, Max. Now, Ashley says, how much is Barry selling his bottled tears for? Marco says, run, Barry, pull a sickie. Uh, Barry, you even you even tried to get out of watching most of this game, didn't you? Yeah, um, I had a power cut at, during the <laughs> second half, uh, which threw me into a bit of a panic. Uh, so I haven't seen the third goal, and I missed the five minutes either side of it. So don't ask me anything about those. I, I actually thought... I was going to have to record this in the pub, which you know wouldn't have been terrible for me, but probably wouldn't be great for the listeners. Just imagine you next to the with a big pair of secretaires next to the power in England ahead of the World Cup final, <laughs> just with a big grin on your face, going cut. Anyway, uh, first of all, let's go to Barney Ronnie, who was uh, there at the uh, Albate Stadium. Barney, how was that for you? Uh, yeah, it was weird. I mean, it was probably like it was for most other people. Um, we spent the first. 25 minutes saying oh dear oh dear this isn't going very well um and i thought senegal had a plan a good plan which was to they tried to isolate they pressed really well high up the pitch tried to isolate harry Maguire. you could see them really surging around and making him turn and you uh you thought about killian mbappe in that moment and thought well okay at least we didn't get that far and didn't have to deal with that but um Luckily, Jude Bellingham exists, and he is brilliant. And he, again, as he did in the first game against Iran, he's such a sort of leader. Him and Henderson, I think the midfield three was really good. They're really balanced, almost sort of accidentally. England suddenly have 
I think, as balanced a midfield as I've ever seen them have, really. It's very good. They've got a bit of everything in there. You've got Henderson as this kind of grown-up who can be horrible. And then you've got Rice sort of gliding around with his rangy stride, and we love a rangy stride. And then Bellingham, who can do anything, who's just brilliant. He's just such a good player. And it's their strength. I really hope they stick with it against France because I want to see them test themselves, not hide in a kind of back seven again. Um, go out there. And, and I'm not normally a throw the handbrake off, man, but I'm, I'm reaching down, I'm wrenching it off. I'm trying to get the handbrake off. I feel these leashes on me. And I, I want them removed now. Uh, yeah, you have to credit Southgate, right? He, he got it right. I totally agree with you. I would love him to, to do keep that three. And if he goes to three at the back, he can't keep that three. And so he kind of, in many ways, his hand might be forced to just keep the handbrake off. The car is moving. You can't just lift the handbrake up unless you're one of the Blues brothers. You'll spin around. No, the handbrake's already gone. He's rolling down the hill yeah. towards a ravine. He's, he's looking out the window. He's shouting. He's waving. But the car is just, it's just gone. Bellingham is driving the car. And, and it feels like England, this team, you, you thought they're in danger of ageing England in the last year. You thought this team is getting stale. It's been seven years. There's not really anything new in it. It's Sterling, Kane, Maguire, Stones and Pickford. I'm sure that was happening five years ago. But there is this new thing in there, this sort of strength, this mobility in midfield that really haven't seen. It's kind of old-fashioned as well. I love the way he surges. He's got that Stephen Gerrard surge. But it's a really clever kind of modern version of it where you're also really tactically aware and careful and can do everything. You know, it's a, I don't mean to talk him up, but he's amazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, how was the atmosphere in there? It was good, although there was like, for about the first 10, 20 minutes, you thought, yeah, this Senegalese drumming is really good. I'm really enjoying this Senegalese drumming. And then after about an hour of the Senegalese drumming, which didn't really... There wasn't a, like maybe there were really subtle variations in pitch and tone and rhythm that I just couldn't pick up. <laughs> they just kept going. But no, I mean, the atmosphere was good. There are quite a lot of English people here that come out for the latter stages. The atmosphere is weird, you know, like everything else here. It's kind of painted on and the stadium is, a, is grotesque. You know, it's this lighted dome in the middle of the desert. But it's just an unhappy feeling place. Somehow in the middle of it, this thing happens on a square of green, which is good. It's weird because quite a lot of, there's been quite a lot of talk, moving away from the game for a second, about actually how this World Cup is really wonderful. Like people who've been there for a couple of weeks and now go, do you know what? I was wrong to be to be sceptical and the whole thing is great. I see you, I mean, really scrunching your eyes up there, Barney. Sometimes you, you realise, you get a glimpse of how sort of venally, sort of self-motivated and sort of how sort of weak people are. I mean, I, I've been really disappointed. I mean, I've been really disappointed by how how easy it is to kind of wipe people's minds if you just show them a, a nice... I've been in my hotel for a week and it seems nice and the people I've met seem happy. And inside this lighted dome where everyone's wearing accreditation, I saw a man in a uh, Stars and Tribes suit uh, hugging a, a man in traditional Arab dress. And I'm just calling it like it is. That's what I saw with my own eyes. So, I mean, that's not journalism. That's just seeing what you've been presented with and responding to it without interpreting it. I literally heard a BBC pundit say that, someone who I previously respected on a BBC podcast and thought, this is just 
asinine. Like you, you've you've melted. You're you're like the people at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, staring into the light. You know, cling to the tree, Indy. Don't look, because uh, you need to show more judgment than that, and not simply be gawping into the light because it's been a good World Cup, which it has, because football is good. Um, changing tack again slightly. Um, Chesney Hawks, I believe, did half time again, and. Uh, Barney Ronay versus Chesney Hawks was not was the Twitter beef that I was really expecting during this tournament. It wasn't really a, a beef. Um, I I really like Chesney. Chesney Hawks is such a nice man. Clearly, he I, I kind of tried to. He sent me a nice tweet, and I tried to respond with a what I thought was an amusingly cutting line, but kind of probably came out slightly too mean. Well, I suggested that he perform one of his other hits. Yeah, I thought that was very, I thought for you, I thought that was very Route 1, Barney. I thought it was like, you know, Hawks will have heard that before. And I was not, I wasn't expecting, I thought it was really, I thought you'd scythed him down there, basically. I mean, Hawks is, Hawks can handle him. Hawks can look after himself. Don't worry about that. He may have a babyish, lovely, lovely blonde hair, lovely babyish face. But, you know, he's, it's a, it's a tough business and Hawks can handle himself. But he came back with um, just the nicest response. He alphaed me with kindness. And so I thought, oh, you, you really are a nice person. I think Hadley Freeman interviewed him and, and said he was literally almost like overwhelmingly nice and charming. And, and I, I felt it too. I felt the Chesney power. Barney, thank you, mate. Thanks. Bye. Barney, Ronnie there. Um, so, Mark, that was all... Very straightforward. By the 79th minute of that game, I was tweeting about the depth of the goal nets at Zaragoza. This is not how, this is not how watching knockout games for England normally goes. No, there was sort of very little jeopardy, really. As soon as Harry Kane made it 2-0 just before half-time, um, that seemed to end the tie almost at that moment. And we maybe shouldn't be so blasé about that when you see Argentina being made to work until you know the 90-odd minute uh, against Australia and there have been many other upsets during this World Cup you know, to end the game 3-0 and you know, it wasn't all perfect by, by any stretch of the imagination but you know to win a last 16 game by three goals to nil no injuries everybody looks fit you know the Gareth Southgate team choices sort of the debatable ones all made an impact and you know there's a lot of positivity that um, should be taken forward to what is a very difficult and a much different test in, in the quarterfinal that's coming up. We've got to give credit to, to Gareth Southgate haven't we Philippe? I mean he ignored the noise that he never really listens to and the clamour for whoever should play or not and he went with his own thoughts and he, and he got it spot on. Yeah very much so. Um, I mean the big call was probably second set of Rashford so I think Phil Foden probably had nailed his uh, place in the starting lineup. Bellingham had to be in there, and heavens, oh, thank heavens he was there, because what a beautiful thing it is to see Jude Bellingham on a football pitch. Even Barry would agree with that. I can see him grinning in the background. Oh, yeah. It is, Barry. Come on, I know, admit it, admit to it. it. Oh, no, he was, he was brilliant, and he seems like a really, really nice very mature young man. I mean, I remember when I was 19, mm. I was a complete dickhead. Some many would argue with some justification. <laughs> yes, I mean, it's an, it's an open goal. <laughs> <there. Yes. laughs> that I still am, but he, he's, he's, he just seems great. He's a, he's a lovely, lovely bloke. Well, no, no, and a wonderful footballer. Now, the question that I, that I have is that, because to, to be honest, I'm, I'm really, it's really strange. It's like there, there was no game tonight. Uh, England took the lead somehow against the run of play, mm -hmm. a little bit. 
And then afterwards, it was very much Senegal didn't really exist, really. So I've rarely felt that. Normally, when you, you watch England in, in these kind of games, you you feel a little bit either frightened or hopeful, depending on which side of the fence you decide to sit on. Uh, this was not the case. You, you knew it was going to happen. So he got the right choice. He got the choices, obviously, right for this particular game. Um, I'm I'm wondering, is he going to stick with this kind of team against the French? Because one of the questions we had before the game was that, is he going to go for three at the back, which he has tended to do in every time, actually. In fact, England has faced some really serious opponents in a, you know, in a tournament. Or is he going to stick with four? And he stuck with four, and, uh, and it worked. So what is he going to do? So we're already projecting ourselves on, onto the French game, which we might have a yeah. chat about uh, you know, in the next few days. But uh, we should forget that up until Henderson opened the scoring, it wasn't quite as uh, fluid and, and beautiful um, as people might think it was. It was not. It was actually pretty... No. It was pretty workmanlike and uninspired and leaden and so forth. But afterwards, you know, again, it's it's a team. And I, it's a question I, I'm throwing to you. I think it lacks definition. I still don't know what that team is like. I don't know. Simon says, is watching Jude Bellingham, that's an interesting Bellingham question, is watching Jude Bellingham like it was watching Gaza in Italia 90? And I thought it's different because... Bellingham, I think, if he stays fit, will have a much better career, probably, than Gaza. But Gaza had something completely different about him as a footballer. And I think Bellingham is such an incredible talent. I don't know, maybe it's just I was younger and I didn't have anything, you know, I had no worries and no cares. But there was something about the way Gaza played football that it was just, it was like pure attacking there was no there was there was no sort of sensible hard work that bellingham does it was just all joy i don't know if that i don't know if anyone agrees or disagrees with with me on that it's an interesting question and it's not something that had ever even crossed my mind until it was asked obviously i don't see a huge amount of jude bellingham because i don't watch the bundesliga so my my uh, exposure to him is is pretty limited to champions league and internationals even just think they're, they're, the way they run is completely different I, I'd be loath to say who's better and, and obviously Bellingham is very young yeah it is, it's an interesting question and one to which I do not have an answer <laughs> no evidently ev- 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 yeah yes, <laughs> sorry I, well, I, I think with, with Gaza there was you know, this doubt about whether he would start wasn't there you know there were more senior players um, potentially ahead of him, um, Italian ninety, and even though um, I think he was, he, he would have been older than uh, Bellingham. He kind of had that daftness that sort of made him feel um, like he was about sixteen. And Bellingham, on the other hand, is a nineteen-year-old mm-hmm. playing as if he's twenty-seven, and like actually one of the leaders of the team. You, you um, during the goal celebrations, he. It's kind of, he's kind of bossing people around, and um, uh, you know he's captain Borussia Dortmund, and I think he's he feels like a very different character um, to, to Gascoigne. So maybe it's hard to make the comparisons. Where I think the um, you, you could make that comparison is just in talent. I mean, the, the Gaza was um, until his injury is very special, and Bellingham, you know, as long as he doesn't sort of 
go down the wrong path. I mean, he's going to become, a, a, you know, I, I think an England great. I mean, he's somebody that um, I've no idea how much he's going to cost when Borussia Dortmund sell him. But if you were trying to build like the perfect central midfielder, he'd have a lot of what you you would be looking for. He's a he's a special talent. We should also talk about Jordan Henderson, Barry, because it's sort of there is this sort of cliche, you know, when he was brought on. You know, social media was a meltdown against the US going, what are we bringing Henderson on there? You know, he's only good because he talks. But actually, like, he led the press in this game. He 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 always wants the ball. He gives it sensibly. He he gets beyond the midfielders like he does for Liverpool, right? He's always making that run for Liverpool, isn't he, in behind? And he was, he was again, again, a sort of, wasn't expected to be like a, a definite starter, but you feel he has to start against France. I'd, I'd be surprised if he didn't start, but... I don't think he has to. Uh, I I don't understand his detractors. If I'm honest, I am slightly biased because you know he he has that Sunderland link and Liverpool bought him from them for what was at the time considered an, a huge amount of money and a waste of money. And I mean, what an investment it turned out to be. Uh, and God, I wonder that sliding doors moment in his career where he he could have gone to Fulham but decided Liverpool wanted to sell him to Fulham and he's, yeah. he just put his foot down and said, I'm not going. Who knows what would have happened if, if he had. Yeah, he's a great leader on the pitch. And what's, what's wrong with being a good talker? I mean, he can play football. There's no doubt about that. Um, and, and I think he's an excellent leader and he clearly has the respect of his teammates at Liverpool in, and for England. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree he has to start. But I think he probably will. And and Mark, there'd been some slightly ridiculous chat about Harry Kane and you know he hadn't scored and therefore he if, if a centre forward doesn't score, then there's no point in him in existing. And like he proved everything today, didn't he? Not only did he score, he was instrumental in that first goal, like the turn and the pass to Bellingham was absolutely perfect. And you know, is is such a pivotal part of this team. It drives me crazy when there are some fans that just want him to goal hang and you know be in the penalty box all the time. I mean, you'd be taking away so much of what makes him the player that he is. And by dropping deep, as long as the midfielders or the wide players are committed to making those runs that Barry was just talking about there with Henderson or you know Bellingham or, or the two wide players, you need that. But as you know, assuming that's part of the tactic, having Kane drop deep makes perfect sense, and he really toyed with with Senegal, and that they had no answer to to what he was doing to them. Uh, fully deserved his goal, I, and I don't, I yeah, I couldn't understand anybody that wouldn't want Harry Kane in the team. We had this at the Euros when people were calling for Calvert Lewin um, to start in in place of Harry Kane, and now. It's Callum Wilson. They're both, you know, they're both okay forwards. And if they need to come on, you know, hopefully they can do a job. But they're not at Harry Kane's level. And you know, even if he's not scoring goals, he's contributing in in many other ways. And yeah, crazy to even sort of entertain that that kind of debate. We'll talk about France's win over Poland in just a second, uh, Philippe. But uh, Porek says Mbappe's good. Should England play all their right backs? against France to stop him. Sam says, how many yards head start will Maguire need against Mbappe? Should he set off now? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I mean, if we're on the other side of the pitch, hopefully. But I mean, that will be fascinating to see. Like you mentioned, do they play a three? You could play Walker on the right of the three and Trippier to stop him. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Walker v Mbappe, is a, it's happened before. They've played against each other before, but it would be fascinating to see. I I would imagine it's going to be Walker um, just in terms of speed of recovery. And I would imagine that against France, 
France playing a 4-3-3, I would imagine that he's going to be very tempted um, to play three at the back. Uh, which, of course, is going to create a problem because who, going to you, who are you going to leave out? Because you're not going to leave out... Uh, I mean, Rice is going to be there. Yeah. He's the foundation. That's it. But you can't play Bellingham, Rice and Henderson if you play... Exactly. Play at the back. So who would you leave out? Unless you play a 3-5-2 and play two up front. And they haven't ever done that, I don't think. No, I mean, it's, it's going to be fascinating for so many reasons. This is why I was saying that in a way with England, in some ways, we're still, there's a lack of definition. We know what France will look like. We absolutely have no doubt on what it's going to be like. Chouamani is going to be back at the holding midfielder. Rabiot will be there as a kind of, free, in a free role. And Griezmann will be there, the uh, kind of deep-lying playmaker. And then you'll have, unless there are injuries, um, Mbappé, um, Griezmann, uh, sorry, Mbappé, Giroud and Dembélé. With England, I'm not too sure. I really, I'm not too sure. And and the thing is that the dynamism we saw, certainly after uh, the first goal, especially after the second goal, was also due to the fact that were the way the England were set up. And we might not see that set up against France. We might not see this kind of expansive game that we saw in the second half against a Senegal team, which I have to say, we have we've barely said anything about it. I'm intrigued, you know, because they they were decent in the first half hour. They had the probably the three best chances in the opening half hour. There was there was that Kane cross to to Saka, which he he didn't throw himself at, um, but and they just gave up. And I don't understand the mentality. They just completely gave up when they went two 0 down. I think the absence of the two midfielders, you know, very important players, Idrissa Gay and Koyati, that, you know, when things are going bad, I suppose you need you need somebody that's able to sort of bring the team together. And uh, uh, Lucy C on, on the coat on the, the sidelines was telling the team to calm down, wasn't he? But um I think they um just lost heart really. Um that you know, to to concede with the last kick of the half probably um they, they yeah they they did give up after after that moment they actually had more shots than than england but um, most of them in the second half were were pretty wild and and untroubling for pickford i mean it's interesting it, it, a fully fit senegal team like with those two not suspended or and not injured and with sadio mane it's a totally different football match isn't it uh, we should just mention raheem sterling um uh, Jacob Steinberg tweeting has returned to the UK to check on his family after his house was broken into by armed robbers on Saturday night. Um, uh, he hopes to return to Qatar if the circumstances are right. Uh, you know, it's an increasing problem that isn't it um, that uh, uh, footballers having their uh, you know having their houses robbed and, and worse, you know, like robbers coming into their home when they're they they are away and their family are at home. So, like, we obviously wish him. And his family, all the best. On a slightly different note, Adam says, can there ever be referee wonder kids? The commentator just mentioned the referee of England, Senegal, is only 31, which seems remarkably young for a referee, doesn't it? It's sort of an age where eventually you just can't have the authority because you're so young. But yeah, 31 does seem young. Phil says, does anyone else see Roy Keane using one of those pens with four different colours in one? Yeah, it was just, it was when England scored the first, I think, and you saw Ian Wright cheering and then it, Roy Keane turned around to Wright, presumably who scored it. He says, um, does he go through the red a lot quicker than the other colours? Surely. <laughs> it's a very good point. I did enjoy this tweet from Michael Spicer, you know, who does the brilliant 
videos on social media of you know the the PR guy or whatever the comms guy in the room with pretending to be speaking to Boris Johnson's ear or whatever he says why is it when the camera focuses on World Cup fans everyone is young and fabulous but when they cut to England fans there's always a quote man pleads guilty to mistreating pet snakes energy (laughs) (laughs) not entirely fair but it was very funny I I, sorry just on the subject of fans that the Senegal fans are something else yeah brilliant just dance, drum, sing the whole way through. Even after the final whistle, they've been trashed and they're still giving it large. And uh, yeah, they're just brilliant. I particularly love those guys who've painted themselves white and have got S-E-N-E-G-A-L. You know, just the manner in which they always manage to stand in the right formation, right order, and don't end up with a an embarrassing misspelling. So you were very against face paint the other day when I said I had had my face painted uh, for the England Tunisia game in France '98. Oh, and I had it fa- my face painted for England Trinidad in 2006. That's almost a habit. So what's the difference? I mean, obviously mine was less artistic. It, it does. I'm, it does look better. But I'm, I, I accuse you of double standards, Barry. Yeah, that's probably a fair enough accusation, Max. I, I, I'm guilty as charged. Anyway, England France then is uh, next Saturday night. Um, so, you know, get your mulled wine ready to throw over your mates at Box Park for that. And that'll do for part one. Part two, uh, we'll talk about France's pretty straightforward win over Poland. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly then. Uh, France 3, Poland 1. That was sort of quite straightforward in the end, Philippe. Poland, I guess, gave us more than we thought they might. But really, you know, it, I suppose what, what the story of the game is, Olivier Giroud becomes France's top goal scorer of all time. And Kylian Mbappe is the, is actually gets all the plaudits and is the story. And Hugo Lloris equals the uh, number of caps, uh, highest number of caps, 142 for the French national team. And Antoine Griezmann establishes a new record of the n- number of games played consecutively for uh, a national team, 71. That's not bad. And, and... Adrian Rabio and Adrian Rabio has his fourth good game in a row. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, he had a decent game. We're not going to talk about it at all, but there you go. I, I don't know. I mean, all the talk is about Kylian Mbappe and not about Olivier Giroud, which I suppose is, is typical of both. Um, because in so many ways, Olivier Giroud was, um, you know, perhaps the most important player with Antoine Griezmann of that French national team today. Uh, is certainly his first goal is a, a thing of absolute beauty, of, of incredibly in, incredible intelligence in front of goal. And I, I would say as well that his uh, first touch for Kylian Mbappe's first goal 
Oh. What do you say about that? Berbatov levels. Yeah, I, Santi- I was going it's to say Santi Garzola because of my affiliation. But it's like the ball, when it's coming down, it's got snow on top. It's like it's been so high. And then not only does it, does it deaden the impact of the ball, but it deviates the path of the ball so that it's perfectly in the way so that it can send Dembele, who sends Kylian Mbappe to goal. And it was a thing of beauty. Um, but it's absolutely typical that we should be talking uh, about Kylian Mbappe, even though I'm talking about Olivier Giroud right now uh, after that, because it's um, it's typical of what his career has been with the French national team, is that um, he's the most... Um, properly respected and uh, non-respected and overrated, underrated player in the history of the game, I think. <laughs> Does that... Do you, think, you think, might be right. I think that's about I think it, so. isn't it? It's I like everybody so. agrees that he's actually pretty damn good and that, in a way, the way... Uh, how we say that he's pretty damn good is that we're saying, oh, he's not respected as he should be, even though everybody knows he's bloody good and uh, yeah. you, you don't get to 52 goals. Um, I... I think Thierry Henry would be absolutely um, livid, by the way, to see. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I, I see Mark. I, we're on Zoom. I can see Mark's face here. And I can see Baz <laughs> laughing his head off. I think they agree with me. I think Titi will be absolutely livid that it's somebody like Olivier Giroud who has actually beaten well, there was always this There was always this rumour that Thierry Henry, when he went to Sky, he had a £500 coat hanger and that he got very upset when it was lost. And, and I... I judge a man who needs a coat hanger that costs 500 pounds. It may be apocryphal, so I don't know. So I've ju- I'm judging for something that may not be true, but it seems it seems like an expensive coat hanger. If the coat hanger is more expensive than any item of clothing I've ever worn, it's too expensive for a coat hanger. I, I will make a confession here on the Guardian Football Weekly. Oh, please do. Special World Cup. Okay. Um, I, I'm not somebody who steals things. Uh, I don't um, take, you know, pens away from the office. But, but, on the day that Arsenal played their last game at Highbury, together with two fellow journalists whose name I will not give, we kind of got lost a little bit in the um, underbelly of Highbury. And we ended up in the dressing room. And there was Thierry Henry's coat hanger oh, there. Good. Uh, it's it's there in my flat. <laughs> it's probably worth a small fortune. Take the antiques roadshow for insurance purposes. Five. I nicked it. I nicked it. Jerry, I'm sorry. Jerry, I'm no sorry. He was annoyed. There's form of having his coat hangers stolen. It was no. Wait a minute. It was the uh, absolute um, uh, box standard Arsenal plastic red coat hanger, but. It was Thierry wow. Henry's coat hanger because I knew where he sat in the dressing room and I went for it and I'm afraid I nicked it. I've still got it. I don't know. Producer Joel, I don't know if this should go live or not because I might be sued by yeah. Arsenal. Can we still call Philippe the moral <laughs> compass of the pod? Now he's stolen a coat hanger. And now and now that there's a, form. A, yeah. I, I, will, I will give it for charity. Uh, but, but, you know, this is but redemption. I also forgive Thierry Henry now because he's just got this thing about coat hangers. Everywhere he goes, someone <laughs> nicks his coat hangers. He's furious. We should probably, Mark, talk a little bit about the, the football match. Yeah, Giroud is a one. I mean, you sort of feel like the target man. It sort of had a, a, a it sort of had a sort of fallow set of fallow years where you couldn't just be a, a slow centre forward, but now you can be again. And Giroud is sort of the ultimate because he scores a lot of goals as well. 
Yeah, I, I think with Giroud, I mean, he, yes, he's slow, but what he offers the team um, in terms of being that physical presence up front, I think he's, he's very much needed and appreciated by his teammates. And I do wonder, um, had Karim Benzema been up front, there would have been more star quality, but you do wonder how that front three of, uh, you know, with Dembele and Bappe and Benzema would have worked and whether it would have been as efficient. I think in terms of that, just the, the target man coming back, I do think it's easier to beat a press if you've got somebody up front that you can kind of aim for, you know, and you haven't got to play through the, the, the sort of midfield lines where it's very congested um, quite as much. So if you're Varane, for instance, and you don't want to go through Rabiot and then Griezmann to, to get to the, the front person, you could if you wanted to, and, and France don't necessarily do that, but, you know, you, you are able to do that to, to um, you know, just hit the longer ball and, and just bypass the press. I also think that a lot of goals now are scored from out wide. I think it's one of the reasons why Kylian Mbappe wants to play out wide. There's a lot of space um, in that area. You see fullbacks getting a, a lot of the ball. Um, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Robertson done it best for, for Liverpool. And Teo Hernandez does it for, for Milan. Maybe not quite so much for France, but I still think he's very progressive in that position. So um, I, I think the sort of the role of everybody is kind of changing. Um, you know, all the time and. Now it does feel like that there's a lot of goals to be scored uh, from those, those wider positions and you therefore need somebody in, in the middle to just knit all of the play together. And I think you've got to be extraordinarily good to be small and be able to play as a false nine. Messi made it look easy when he did it for Barcelona, but it's not an easy position for anybody to play. And uh, you know, there's a lot to be said for having that physical presence up front, you lose something because you know you haven't got the, the threat in behind. But if you've got the pace out wide, then you know you can almost suck the defence further up the pitch and then um, use those wingers to, to get in behind. But I want to get back to the coat hangers. Yeah, Barry, I'm terrified that my first question for you in this part is: Kylian Mbappe's good, isn't he? I mean, he... I, I was expecting it. <laughs> I mean, those two goals are absolutely sensational, aren't they? Because the first one, I don't know about you, I'm, there, every part of me thinks he's putting it in the other corner. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I prefer the second one more for the way he received the ball. I remember, um, I think it was Phil Foden was saying how Pep Guardiola had taught him this trick of, you know, don't receive the pass on your leading foot, let it roll onto your behind foot, if you know what I mean. And that gave him the space to turn the defender and gave him the angle to shoot from. His first goal was brilliant as well. And uh, I think Olivier Giroud played a big part in that, as, as has been discussed, you know, his his takedown of the ball and then his his run, which took out a couple of defenders and gave Mbappe the space. But... I think we all kind of know that Olivier Giroud is only minding that record. He's he's a custodian and it won't be long before someone else takes it off him. It's, it's, it's not going to be as long as Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, is it? It's not going to be, you know, Giroud with the chainmail on going, Killian, you have chosen wisely. <laughs> um, Cholet says, everyone has touched as I was when Mbappe paid homage to uh, Bruce Forsyth uh, for his second goal celebration. Um, I was I was sort of partially dealing with Ian Rushton, who'd taken a <laughs> a slight allergy to Pecorino at the time of the second goal. Such a very middle class baby 
<laughs> so, but was it the uh, was it the head to the was it that one was it the the hand to the head and the hand to the back was that the was that the Mbappe celebration? Yeah, uh, well, I would argue it was Bruce Forsyth crossed with Ted Rogers because he gave it a bit of three two one right. Dusty Bin as well because it was ah. his second goal, and obviously, obviously he he made the assist as well. But I something else. I mean, you didn't experience this, Max, but when we did that weird gig in. Was it the science London Science yes. Museum? Yes. Yes. And I I got to wear the virtual reality headset, and and it was programmed so I was a hapless defender, and Kylian Mbappe was running at me with the ball in, you know, at full speed. It was terrifying. <laughs> like it was truly terrifying. Mm. I mean, I've never seen anyone look less coordinated <laughs> on earth. Um, it was really tremendous for anyone who was there. What did you What did you make of of Poland, Philippe? Because actually, like leading up to this game, they'd been pretty abject, and you know they did have their moments. And as the the first half wore on, they started growing in confidence. Not unlike Australia yesterday, and you know Zelinsky has this absolutely glorious chance, and I understand why he put his laces through it. And boy, did he put his laces through it! But anywhere else, and that is going in, right? Yeah, and and maybe I think they were encouraged by the fact that France uh, is not one of those teams which will press very intensive intensively, uh, and, and therefore they they let you they let you breathe, and 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 they certainly uh, took advantage of that. It, it's part of it's it's funny that this one of the great strengths of this French team should also be one of its weaknesses. Which is the capacity to um, take things easy, I would say, to control things. And sometimes it gets a little bit excessive, and we see what happens with Poland. But did they give away a goal? No, they did not. And the only goal they gave was on that crazy penalty at the end. So, yeah, I was a little bit surprised. On the other hand, France is not a proactive team. And I, I was listening to uh, Mauricio Pochettino as you probably were, who was talking about the lack of passion for France and comparing it to other countries which have a lot of passion um, and energy and pressing in particular. The thing is that France has won the World Cup in 2018 without that passion. Deschamps is not a passionate man. That's not the way he makes his team play. And um, therefore, that's perhaps the recipe he's decided upon again, not to... um, not to be passionate, not to press, and which explains why Poland certainly were far more positive in that game uh, than they were before. But Max, one word mm-hmm. though, Pecorino is two different things. All right. One of them you'll be forgiven because it's a cheese. Yes. But Pecorino is also a white wine. Yeah, we didn't. So which of the two was it? <laughs> I wasn't giving. Uh, I wasn't. It was Ian. I gave him. We gave him some cheese. Apparently, it's a bit. Uh, nine months is too early to give pecorino, which we found out on Google afterwards. What you meant to do, anyway? I, I mean, I suppose what you're saying is, if there was a French phrase, if there was a French way of saying laissez-faire, that's kind of <laughs> that's yeah, that's kind of what the French the French team are. A little um, bit. Can, Mark, I'm mean, lots of people ask Philippe about Rabio, but we keep asking Philippe about Rabio. Um, uh, and but I, I I just wanted to go to someone else because. Because I think he's he seems like a really brilliant footballer at the moment. I wouldn't go for brilliant. I, I think he's I, I okay. think he's doing right. a, a good job in central midfield. 
helped by Griezmann. Uh, we'll get, we'll get on to, to Rabiot in, in a second, but I think the way that Griezmann has sacrificed himself for the team to make them, you know, there wouldn't be many, you know, forwards that have won the World Cup, played for Barcelona, um, you know, Atletico Madrid in the highest profile matches that is willing to play that deep and work that hard for an international team. You know, he would be within his rights to, um, you know, to say, well, I want to play in X position or, or Y position. But I think because he is dropping deep and adding that creativity that maybe Pogba would, would previously have done, that is allowing Rabiot to just, I suppose, play it quite safe and and just, just not do anything silly in, in that position. He's working hard. I think he's dovetailing well with two many. Uh, you know, they, they are protecting the defence enough. He's moving the ball forward um, adequately. I wouldn't say it's, you know, um, expertly or, you know, it's brilliant and outstanding, but he's definitely doing it well. And I think what the French team and what Deschamps is, is very good at um, and what you need to be as an international manager is to just protect the, the kind of weaknesses in your team. And I, I think he does that um, really well because there are uh, still, I would say, issues in, say, central midfield and a, a right back. But because Kunde can't get forward so much, you know, it, it doesn't matter because Dembele has got um, the, the ability to kind of play that sort of really ultra-attacking position. And he, he's doing a steady job um, in, in central midfield. And I, I often wonder what he actually does really well. And that, that's been a question I've asked sort of people that, um, like like Nicky, when she's watching Juventus, um, you know, what does he do really well? And it, it, nobody has ever really been able to explain to me what, he, what, what, what he's an expert at. But I, I think he's just all-round game. Uh, for France has has been steady um, and and safe, and you couldn't always say that about him. I always feel like there's a mistake in him, but he hasn't done one yet. Is is he kind of a French Mason Mount, but with a more domineering mother? <laughs> I, I'd, I'd say he's a he's less maybe hard working than the the Mount would. M- Maison be. Mount uh, says uh, producer Joel. Maison, more more Maison, more Maison. Philippe, you you were on the radio with us earlier, and you said, uh, and and I think you were slightly worried about <laughs> saying it, so I'm going to ask you to say it again. Um, you reckoned that despite the fact he's a Ballon d'Or winner. That France are better off without Benzema. Oh my goodness! Do you, do you stand over oh, that gosh. now after seeing another ninety minutes of evidence? Um, um, yes, I, I, I do, and uh, obviously, uh, uh, if this is put in French somewhere, I'm going to get an awful lot of uh, of grief for it. Thank you very much, Barry. I really appreciate that. Oh, the producers yeah. translate this into every language and dub us with actors. Um, you yes. you play the role of yourself, Philippe. Surely you know this when you're up late. But anyway, carry on. It's it's one of the debates. It's a it's a fake debate. It's also a toxic debate in France about between Benzema and Giroud. Benzema has said some less than complimentary things about Olivier Giroud, who has responded. Uh, I wouldn't say in kind, but his responses have been quite sharp too to that. So there's this whole thing of the ambivalence between the two and the, the fact is that if you if you look at the qualities of both players who is the the best number nine of the two Karim Benzema nobody doubts that who fits in better in the system that Deschamps has put together which is this 4-3-3 um, which is very much uh, a kind of recreation from the Aimé Jacquet team of the you know 90s and, and Le Maire teams of the 2000s who 
who is the player who fits the best in the system? And the answer to that is Olivier Giroud. I really enjoyed um, the Sunday League moment. And Robin Cowan on commentary said it was Sunday League. The, the Jules Koundé being told to take off his, uh, his necklace, which is very much <laughs> like, you know, the ref before the game going, I'll check your studs, any jewellery, um, which obviously changes from team to team. But in my very, sort of very middle-class pecorino-eating team, you can imagine there just wasn't a whole lot of jewellery doing the rounds. Um, but it was a really fun bit of just saying, Let, take that off, off you, come on, you know. And, and Kunde says, I don't want to take it off. That'll clear for a little nick it. <laughs> exactly. Um, anyway, that'll do for part two. If you want some um, uh, live a live production debrief. Producer Joel has written, this has been a really fun part. So well, well done to all of you. Uh, and we'll be back in a second with any other business. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. So tomorrow we've got Japan, Croatia and Brazil, South Korea. Uh, Tommy Asso looks set to start for Japan because Itakura is suspended. Croatia unlikely to make any changes, but they're young. You know, they can keep on running, can't they? Um, uh, Modric and Lovren on a yellow so uh, they'll miss the game if they're booked I mean obviously Mark I keep banging eyes it's not like me to keep pushing a joke but if they are tired the Croatians Japan's not who they want to play is it? It's not no and I found it very interesting uh, Gareth Southgate's not the most interesting sort of any press conferences usually because just plays it quite straight and, you know, that's probably the right way to go. But he mentioned in in one that I watched earlier this week about within their preparation for the USA, they'd watched Japan and had realised, now maybe it's easy to say after the event, but they realised the sort of England um, sort of scouts that Japan were better than, than maybe most people thought going into the tournament and they felt that they could cause... Spain and or Germany some problems and and so it has proven. I think with Japan, they've made they've they've definitely improved when they've made substitutions. I've not not been quite sure what their team setup and the the approach has been in in, in their first half games, but they, they've mm. definitely got better for the changes that they've made. Uh, I I just always feel like though that Croatia are just a team that are, are not. That, they're not flaky. They're not going to make mistakes. They are. Now they're wily <laughs> bastards, aren't they? <laughs> they're so tough, they're, and they're, they're so technically excellent. And I, I, I would edge towards Croatia. I, Japan have been energetic and got two amazing results to take down a couple of heavyweights. But I would still edge towards Croatia. I think. Is there any way Barry South Korea can can beat Brazil? I don't think so. Uh, I think Brazil will be too good for them. I mean, it was weird. South Korea's game against, oh, God, it was Friday. I can't remember. Who Uruguay? Was no, 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 it wasn't. No, no, it wasn't. Portugal. Portugal. I just found it slightly odd how little... They, they didn't seem that fussed by the fact that they were going out. And they weren't... You know, they 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 have their system and they just stick to it. And they weren't, you know, hurling a big... some burly central defender up front and launching it to him and 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 it worked i mean it it worked they scored a remarkable goal to go through i will be astonished if they beat brazil but i'm not going to say it won't happen i think japan will beat croatia juan could start for south korea um neymar might be in contention to start which is mad considering the color of his ankle um uh, gabriel jesus apparently out for three months philippe so uh, that is a 
that is a real impact uh, for Arsenal's title challenge, isn't it? But look, we'll get to the Premier. We'll get to the Premier League in in you know Boxing Day or or whatever it is. Uh, now, a really a subject which uh, I imagine if you uh, if you don't like swearing, um, perhaps, or you listen with children, is just to be forewarned. David says, is there anything more disappointing than the fifacation of Arsene Wenger? Uh, then again, I suppose he did make somewhat of a habit of, quote, not seeing it. Uh, when asked about Germany's exit, he said at the World Cup technical study group briefing, you know, when you go to a World Cup, you know how you can't lose the first game. The teams who have the experience to perform in tournaments like France and England played well in the first game. The teams who were mentally ready with a mindset to focus on competition and not the political demonstrations. Philippe. Yes, it's very disappointing. I'm not uh, going to say it's totally surprising. Um, I think Arsene has been somebody who um, has been dealing with um, very paradoxical positions uh, for quite a while. Um, he's been working with BN Sports for a number of years, and you know, BN Sports, Al Jazeera is Qatar. That's okay. We know he's been very close to, to PSG as well, uh, which is also Qatar, and was offered a job there, which he refused, but remained very close to them. We know he spent a lot of time there. We also know that he took on the job of uh, basically being in charge of football development there at FIFA. So it's still, uh, I, I think it's more a moment of reckoning. It's more a moment that people realise that he's decided to to put his um, his credibility, his legacy with these people from FIFA, from Qatar, and especially from FIFA. And I'm not entirely surprised. So he's somebody who's got a very absolute um, view of the way football should be played. Because of that, I think he's able to dissociate himself with what is happening in the game at large. I'm not saying that is the right thing to do. I'm not saying that it is uh, something that is necessarily excusable. I'm not saying I'm not disappointed. I think you can probably feel in my voice that I am... Well, you know him really well, right? I mean, listeners might not know that. Well, I don't, he's not a friend of me, but I've, not, I've known Arsene for yeah, 30 years. So, I, yes, I know him well. And I'm not surprised that he said what he said. I, am, I will try to uh, engage with him about it, by the way. But I find it absolutely typical of what is going on right now. It's, it's also absurd because some of the teams which chose not to engage with the political side of it, for example, Belgium didn't do very well at all, whereas the team that probably engaged with the political side of this World Cup better than anybody else, i.e. the Australians, probably will, when the tournament is over, can look at it and think we are the team that overperformed the most of them all. Less importantly, I'm starting to wonder whether like FIFA producers and directors have been explicitly told to get a cutaway of Jenny Infantino as soon as they possibly can. It's getting slightly ridiculous. Of course, the stadiums are close. He can be at every game. But, you know, I, I, it is supposition. It may not be true. But nothing would talk about the ego of somebody who said, I need to be in shot uh, more than being in shot for every game. And I hate it so much. Jax, has anyone else not enjoyed the weird countdown to the first whistle? A little too Super Bowl for me. Yeah, I don't know about you, Mark or Barry. That is just, we don't need 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, do we? We just, it's not, that isn't football and it's not progress. Uh, Mark? 
Well, it's also not very practical because they're all ready to play, aren't they? I mean, like they, they, we've got a countdown for like no reason. Usually, yeah, at least if it was like I suppose you'd just done the photos and then you, you know, you get getting the players to hurry up a little bit by going ten, nine, eight, seven. You know, we want to get this game off. Then all well and good, but for some reason we we just have this shot of you know, Griezmann or whoever it is just standing over a ball for for ten seconds while. There's a really dry count um, down. I, I'm still missing the, you know, I, I don't think you could beat the the Euros ones with with the little car that. Yeah, a tiny car is absolutely fine. I'm you know, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's much more like it. Louis says, "What's the panel's thoughts on the Poland FC Copenhagen goalkeeper Kamil Grabara or Grabara? Forgive me, his tweets. Uh, is this bloke the least professional footballer?" out there at the moment. So look, he uh, is the number one keeper for Copenhagen. Matty Ryan is the number two. Kamil Grabara's out uh, in Qatar as Poland's uh, reserve keeper. Matty Ryan was signed for Copenhagen while Grabara was injured, dropped as soon as Grabara regained fitness. Uh, Ryan thought his demotion was due to club politics. Grabara said Ryan and uh, he and Ryan are not friends. Uh, I just have to state that there is a reason why we're in ninth place in the Superliga and the goals have poured in. It speaks for itself. I don't see any competition for the goalkeeper position, he said, um, with reference to Matty Ryan. He tweeted, must have been politics for sure, winky emoji, after Matty Ryan's mistake yesterday. I mean, given that Matt Ryan had a, actually a really excellent World Cup as well, just seems so unbelievably uncalled for. Like, I mean, it's just like, really, like... Very strange. Like you work with this person. Like even you. Like there are lots of people. People don't like at work, but it's so public and just so unpleasant. Zosia, who is a, a listener to the pod, said hello from Poland. Uh, he's widely known for being an asshole. Before he got his late call up after uh, Dragowski's injury, he said in an interview that maybe he should support a different white and red team. Perhaps he should learn the Danish anthem. Anyway, let's finish on a, 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 an email from. Uh, Jack, and we thank you, Jack, for getting in touch. Uh, we often get sent emails that are uh, slightly emotional and um, or have meaning, and we're never really sure that the pod makes that much difference to people. But he says, hi, Max, Barry, and everyone. I've been a fan of the pod for a while now. I think I properly discovered it during Russia 2018. Spent quite a long time trying to track down the witch's curse debate TM, he says. Yeah, other people have done that too. I lost my father a month ago as I write this. We didn't have the most straightforward relationship, but one thing we did share was the football. As a proud Irishman, the World Cup was generally a bit tense as he shared Barry's disdain for the England men's team. But like me, he couldn't help himself once the game started. The last month has been extremely difficult, not helped by moving house at the same time as processing my grief. Unfortunately, I'm not in a position to contribute financially at the minute. But I wanted to reach out and thank you all sincerely for what I can only imagine is an absolute gargantuan effort to get these pods out every day. They've been a source of comfort and laughter through some very dark days. Thank you all. I'm sure you're all exhausted, but selfishly, I'm very glad you have had absolutely no time off. Gratefully yours, Jack. Uh, P.S. More Officer Crabtree match reports, <laughs> please. Yeah, we'll see what we can do about that. Well, obviously, our best wishes go to Jack, but I think... In the interest of, you know, it's sort of connected to our Herculean effort to get the pods out. So today's pod, parts two and three, recorded before the England yeah, game. Yeah, they are. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic we'll have a pod where part one, <laughs> Max is really, really sad and, and Mark. 
and then gets progressively more upbeat <laughs> as the pod progresses. Do you know, that's interesting because I actually had a chat with producer Joel saying, should we maybe not all do it all after the England game because it may change my mood? But also there's a really fun part of, uh, look, we, we, we record in that way for sort of tedious admin reasons and so the producers can go to bed. But it's also the, the possibility, not only that I will be sad in part one, but it's also the possibility that you will be considerably more drunk in part one and then sober up through parts two and three. Um, so look, both things to look forward to. We don't know what's happened to England yet, uh, but look, fingers crossed uh, they get through. Uh, anyway, um, that'll do for today's pod. Thank you, Philippe. Thank you very much, Max. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Barry. Yes, I'm waving goodbye with my uncrossed <laughs> fingers, Max. <laughs> uh, Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Daniel Stevens. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. <laughs> 